Hello, Saubona, how's it? Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Everyday Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good to see you this morning, church. Welcome everyone back in the building. Give me a smile behind those masks if you can. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes if you really are smiling. Well, it's a um, beautiful day in Durban and I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are watching us this morning. And a special, I just want to say again, a special welcome to our first time visitors. Sibu, it was good to meet you this morning. Good to see you, champ. You guys are so welcome in this church. Our first time visitors are our VIPs. That means you're a very special person. Okay, so uh, make yourself at home and feel welcome. Yes, church. So we are. Are you ready to get in some word this morning? Have you got a Bible? Let's go. Open it. Turn it on. And and let's go to one Peter two, and we'll we'll come there in a moment. Um. We are doing a series on discipleship. That's what we're, we're doing at the moment. And in the series, we are, we're really exploring again or reminding ourselves what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and also obey the call to go and make disciples as well, the Great Commission. And, um, you know, what we're really hoping through, for through the series is is that as a church, we would, we would come back to the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. That's what we're hoping to achieve in this, in this series, that we really come back to the essence of what church really is about. You know, as, as any organization, churches can get distracted. We can make the church to be something that it's not. And last week I spoke about the fact that church is not about just going to engaging services. It's not about clocking in and doing your, your, your Sunday duty. Um, we love Sunday services. We, we, we love to serve. Amen. But at the, at the end of the day, when you, when you, when you get down to the core of what a church is, what is a church? The church should be a disciple making factory at the end of the day. That's what it really should be. If we're going to be in business, we need to know what we're in business for. And that is making disciples. I said to you last week, imagine if you've never been to church before, you've never seen a church building before. Imagine. You've never been a part of a service. You've never experienced praise and worship. You've never walked into a building and had ashes greet you. You've never even seen a church at the end of your street. And you were to get the Bible, pick it up, and read the New Testament, and, and, and get born again, and have a desire to follow Jesus, what would you do? You would probably do what Jesus did. He went and he shared the good news with people. He gathered them. He discipled them. He taught them how to obey God, everything that God commanded. And then he empowered them to go and do the same. You know, on Friday, I was watching a documentary about the church in Iran. And uh, I'm sure you all know that Iran is, is an Islamic nation. Christianity is outlawed. Bibles are illegal. It is a very hostile place towards Christianity. Churches were burnt. Uh, Christians were driven underground. Uh, it's and Iran is like the epicenter of radical terrorism and radical Islam, and and so Christianity is not tolerated in any form in any way whatsoever. And isn't it? It's interesting to know that actually that's where the fastest growing church is today, is in Iran. That there are millions of Iranians coming to Jesus. <laughs> isn't that awesome? Why? Why is that happening? They have no church buildings. They have no organized leadership. 
they have no finances, <laughs> they have no Sunday services to attend to, what do they have? They have disciples, and they have the Bible, and disciples who obey the Bible and what Jesus taught. And so what you see, you know, it's very easy to outlaw a Sunday service and to stop people going into a building, but it's very hard to stop you going and talking to somebody and discipling them and teaching them to do, obey Jesus and then them empowering them to do the same. And so what you have in Iran, one, one of the, the, the leaders there commentated and said that persecution in Iran drove away all the converts and all we were left with were disciples. And now the church is growing. <laughs> really, really powerful. And so this is what we're really going after. And the mandate to go and make disciples is where? It's found in Matthew 28, verse 18. And I'm sure you know it really well. Can we just say it out loud this morning? Wherever you are at home, you're also welcome just to speak it into your living room or wherever you are. Let's go. Jesus said, All authority, heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, everything that I have commanded you, and yo, 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 I will be with you even to the end of the age. That comes from like the old King James Version that says, and lo, I will be with you until the end of the day. So we just modernize it, okay? It's, it's, and yo, 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 I will be. Because it's just an emphasis. So in the old days they would say, and lo, and we say, and yo, alright? So it's okay, don't feel like we've damaged the Bible in any way, alright? <laughs> and yo, 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 I will be with you even to the end of the age. So this is known as the Great Commission. This is what Jesus has commanded his church to do. This is his final instructions before he ascended, his, his mandate to the church. This is like if you're going to give yourselves to something, give yourselves to this. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to come back. There will be a day when I come back. But in between now and then, your job is to do what? Of who? And then what do you need to do? How do, how do you make a disciple? You? Baptize them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We get them baptized in water. We get them baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them to obey some of the stuff. All of the stuff <laughs> that Jesus commanded. Do a thorough work. Let me ask you a question. I've got boys. If I go to my boys and I say to them, Boys, I'm going out to the shops. I want you to clean your rooms before I come back. And then I go to the shops, and I come back, and their rooms are messy. And I gather them, and I said, why did you... Why? But they said, no, but Dad, we, we cleaned the kitchen, we cleaned the bathroom. Imagine if we actually had that. <laughs> we cleaned the living room. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Have they done what I asked them to do? All right, another scenario. Your boss at work comes, comes to you and says to you, I would like you to make... 10 sales calls this afternoon while I'm out. I'll be back later. And he comes back later and you haven't done the sales calls. And he says, why haven't you done the sales calls? And you go, well, I actually rearranged the filing system 
and I made sure the back office was working and I trained somebody else on how to use the soft company software. Have, 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 they, have you done what your boss told you to do? Will your boss be happy with you? Okay. So the question, if Jesus says to us, I'm going to go, <laughs> and I'd like you to make disciples <laughs> while I'm gone, <laughs> and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and then I'm going to come back. And when he comes back, <laughs> and we say to him, but Lord, we've got some great songs. And we're singing so well. And Lord, look at our beautiful building. And have you seen our welcome pack? Have we done what he's asked us to do? (laughs) Thank you, Vanina. No, we haven't. So why, why is it that we, we struggle to obey this great commission? Why is it, why do we find this thing so difficult? You know, why is it that, and, and it's not only the Great Commission, I said, you know, as kids, we, we struggle to obey the command of our parents, right? Am I the only one who struggled with that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Langer's got his feet in the air, okay? Like, we, we struggle to obey our, our bosses at work and do everything that they tell us to do, right? Especially if they're like burdensome and we don't really want to do that. We struggle with this great commission as well. And what is it? Why do we struggle with this thing? Is it that we don't have enough time to do it? No, I think we've got enough time. Is it that we don't know how to do it? No, we've got the Bible that tells, shows us how to do it. You know, what, what, is, what is our excuse? Oh, is it just a confidence issue? Are we, are we just, are we, or are we distracted? What is it that keeps us from fully obeying this command in making disciples? I think the fundamental Bottom line issue is that, of the reason why we don't make disciples, is that we have not yet fully committed to being disciples ourselves. Jesus told us what a disciple is. He says, a disciple is someone who obeys everything that I've commanded. A disciple is somebody, he tells us in scripture, who's denied themselves, picked up their cross, and followed him. Somebody who takes on his nature and does what he did. It is disciples who make disciples. It's not fans who make disciples. It's not um, converts who make disciples. It is disciples who make disciples. So if there's no disciples being made, it means that we don't have any disciples to start with. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus was walking along by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers fishing, Simon named Peter and his brother Andrew, because they were fishermen. And he said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. I want you to notice the process in here. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Followers, 
lead to fishing. If there's no fishing for men, it means we're not following. If you're not fishing for people, if you're not out there like really looking to catch people into the kingdom, then you have to ask yourself the question, am I really following the leader? And so really, I want to go after that this morning with a message entitled, Follow the Leader. So let's pray before we get into 1 Peter chapter 2. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. We treasure your word more than our daily bread. We boldly confess that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. All right, so are you there in 1 Peter chapter 2? Let's read the scripture. It says, therefore, submit yourselves. Can you say submit yourselves? Isn't that a lovely word, submit? Hardly, hey. (laughs) We don't like that word. (laughs) Therefore, submit yourselves. Okay, Apostle Peter, what do we submit ourselves to? To every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. And I just want to remind you that this was in the time where of the Roman Empire ruling as supreme, all right? To, and we're talking about people that persecuted the Christians, all right? Submit to every ordinance of every of man, every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good. You may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. But as, what what does that word say? As bond servants. Can you look at somebody and say bond servants? Say good morning, bond servant. (laughs) But as bond servants of God. You know, this is this is one of this is like a really tough passage. I mean, imagine if you were a first-century believer being persecuted by the Roman Empire, and here the leader of your congregation, your pastor, is coming to you and is saying, "I want you to submit to every ordinance of that's been passed by man. I want you to submit to the king, to the governors, to the home affairs department." <laughs> to the traffic department, to every traffic cop you meet. I want, I want you to submit to them for the Lord's sake. And then he goes on in that verse, we don't have time to read it, but and he addresses slaves in particular. And he says, slaves, I want you to submit to your masters and not just the good masters, the harsh ones too. This is not an easy word right here. Would you agree? This is like, you know, you're 15 and you're mad at your parents and somebody comes to you and says, submit and obey your parents. And you're just like, why? <laughs> you know, like, this is, this is what this is. You know, we've just, we, we, we've been going through a pandemic. And one of the most interesting things about this pandemic to me, um, what, what's actually happened in this pandemic, is, is we've suddenly got all these 
restrictions on our freedom. Hey, I mean, think about what we've been restricted with in the last year. You know, you can't gather, you can't leave your home, we weren't allowed to surf. Amen, surfers. <laughs> we weren't allowed to, you know, buy alcohol suddenly, you weren't allowed to buy certain clothes or certain items when you go to the shop. You weren't allowed to gather in large numbers and funerals and weddings had to be postponed. And there were all these restrictions that were put on us. And the interesting thing for me, like through this whole process was, can South Africans do this? You know, and I must say for the first two months, I was really surprised. Like, because you know what, laws in our country are, are kind of like, they're largely ignored, you know, on the road or wherever, bylaws. We, South Africans, we're not the most law-abiding, okay? And here we were getting all these strict laws put on us, all these laws. And the interesting question was, can we submit? And I think we did really well for the, for the first bit. But after like a two months, you could feel this, this undercurrent of like high bore. Like how long is this going to go on for? And why can't I do this? And why can't I have my bride? And why can't people come around to my house? And why can't we, you know, there was this, this like discontent growing. Did any of you kind of like feel that? I think we all felt that. Eventually it was just like, you know, I just want to break free here a little bit. You know, and, 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 and so we started seeing like little law breakings happening and protests happening and all sorts of stuff happening. And, um, and, it, and it, was, it was quite interesting. I'm sure you've had some of your own submission dilemmas during this time. Have you had a submission dilemma? I mean, I mean these, these masks for one, you know. I must say, I, I, hate, I hate these masks. I'm so happy I'm preaching today like I'm allowed to not have my mask on. <laughs> like they really... They're really, you know, constricting and I just don't get it. And do they really protect us? And there's so many, you know, confusing things about them and whatever, you know. And so, so it's just like, but I just hate breathing in my own carbon dioxide, you know. It's just not, not exactly a fun thing. I remember going into the shops once and, and I had to buy an alarm clock. And I was walking down the aisles and, um, to get my kids up in the morning. And, uh, <laughs> And, and, I, and, and there was stuff on this aisle that I could buy, but this aisle was all taped up. And there was the alarm clock. And I remember just looking at this and going, like, these items are so similar. Like, I can buy a toaster, but I can't buy the alarm clock. And I can buy, like, a, I don't know, whatever else, like a hairdryer or something, but I can't buy the, the alarm clock. And, like... This is just foolish, you know? And then there was this dilemma of this guy came down and said, down the aisle and said, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I want to buy the alarm clock. <laughs> and he was like, oh, sorry, these are all, you can't buy anything here. Non-essential. And he said, but if you put it in your trolley, it's fine. <laughs> just put it in your trolley, it's fine. <laughs> and I remember just going... What am I going to do? <laughs> I'm sure you're all wondering, what did I do? I didn't put it in my trolley, okay, just so you know. It was too much of a dilemma. Why? Because scriptures like this were going through my head. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Submit, obey what these people, your leaders are telling you to do. And it was a, it was a dilemma but fortunately for me, I went to another shop and there were alarm clocks that I could buy in that shop. They weren't <laughs> taping anything else. So I eventually got my alarm clock, but legally, because that shop didn't 
close them off or whatever, I don't know. But, but here's the point. This is the dilemma that you and I face. Is if you, you know, you take a bunch of people and you put some laws on them, what happens? It starts to expose the sin nature that we have. This nature that says, I'll do it my way. And, and who am I to, you know, who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? And there's this sin nature that comes out. And, and what Peter is saying here is, is be subject to. You know, rule over that sin nature. That word subject that he uses in this term is actually a military term. That word subject there is actually be under the authority of a commanding officer. Be subject to. Subject to whom? Every institution, every leader that's in your life. So that means when we go to home affairs, we, we follow the order. When we go to the traffic department, we follow the order. When we're in school, we obey the rules. When the, when the government says, wear your mask, we, we wear our mask. And this really was the teaching of Jesus. He was like, you pay to Caesar. What is Caesar's? You, you submit to the laws of the land. He said, if somebody forces you to go one mile, what do you do? You go two. And what he was referring to in those days was an unreasonable law where a Roman officer was able to take a Jewish man if he was, and, and force him to carry something, but only for one mile. That's what he was, he's legally allowed to just, imagine you walking down the street and like there's a Roman officer cruising by and they're carrying heavy stuff. He was allowed to say, hey you, come and carry this for one mile. That was, it was a law in those days and you had to stop what you were doing, stop where you were going and go and carry whatever they wanted carried for one mile. And Jesus was like, if they make you do that, do two. That's like him coming to us and saying, wear two masks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like... Whew. Why? Why do we do this? Well, he tells us there, for this is the will of God. That you, by doing good, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, but not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. But as bond servants of God. And so what he was basically saying is that I want you to model something to the world. I want you to, I want the world to see that you're not a bunch of trouble causers. You're not just these arrogant people who think they know it all, but that by doing good, by obeying, by submitting to the laws in your school, in your workplace, the code of conduct, whatever it is, by following what your boss says, by doing what your leaders are telling you to do, wherever those leaders are, you are proclaiming something to the world. You are modeling something to the world. You're showing what Jesus actually did as well, that he came and he submitted himself to every institution as well. He he obeyed and he followed and and that is what we are to do as well. And then Peter goes on and says something very interesting here in this verse. He says, and do it as bondservants of God. And what I find really amazing here is that he didn't say, and do it as disciples of God. You know, I, I, like, I read that and I was like, what, what does he mean when he says, but do it as bondservants of God? Why didn't he say disciples? And you know, I went through the New Testament and I started looking at this word bondservant and how many times it comes up. It comes up a lot. You've probably seen it a lot in the, in the New Testament. Paul referred to him, 
himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Timothy as well. James introduces himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude called himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other places, they use the word disciples. Now Peter's telling us also to be bondservants of God. So which one is it? Is, are we disciples? Are we bondservants? I, you know, I was like, well, why, why? What I'm noticing in the New Testament is that there's no difference between being called a disciple or a bondservant. They, they one in the same thing and they used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. It's the, to say one is to say the other. And what's really great about this is that this gives us a window into what it means to be another dimension of understanding in terms of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you look at this word bondservant, what, they, what you find is this. In the Old Testament, there were two words used for servant. One was a hired servant, and the other one was a bondservant. And what you find in the Old Testament is that they're two very different things. There's a hired servant, and then there's a bondservant. In the New Testament, we see there's also, again, two words for servant. Diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. And then there's the word doulos, where we get the word bondservant from. Again, very different things. You have a hired servant, and you have a bondservant. A bondservant, I mean a hired servant, sorry, is somebody who works for wages. Somebody that you just, we can call it an employee. He gets days off, he can marry whom he wants to marry, he gets certain work hours, he can quit when he likes to quit. He's a hired servant in much the same way as you would hire an employee today. A bondservant, on the other hand, was actually a slave who was allowed to go free. Because in Israel, God put a function where he's, uh, to stop perpetual slavery. He said every seven years, slaves were allowed to go free. However, in that seventh year, if the slave decided that no, they didn't want to go free, their master is so good, And it's such a pleasure to work for their master. They want to serve their master for the rest of their life. They had the choice to become a bondservant or a love slave, as some call them. I want to show you this in Exodus 21. It says the following, verse 5. You still good? It says, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. Alright, whenever you see piercing and whenever you see blood, you must know that this is a sign of covenant being made. I want you to notice the word forever that's used over there. So this wasn't something light. This wasn't something, a rash decision. This wasn't like, okay, I haven't yet secured alternate employment or found another plan for my life, so let me just stay for a little bit longer. No, this was entering into a lifelong commitment 
where I was going to follow and obey my master completely. Why would they pierce the ear? Well, symbolically, what it was saying is that my ear is now committed to hearing my master's voice. That's what that was about. And it's very interesting, when you go into the book of Leviticus, what you'll find is that when the priests were anointed for service in the temple of God, when they were coming into the, and being consecrated to serve in the temple, they would take the priests and they would anoint the priests' ears with blood and with oil. Blood would consecrate the ear, separating it just unto God. Oil would anoint it to hear God. Why? Because the role of a priest was to hear God's voice, to hear what the Lord was saying. And so what we see is something very similar happening over here with bond servants. Their ears are now attentive to their master's voice. So what is the difference between a hired servant and a bond servant? Well, a hired servant will stay as long as it's convenient. As long as it's beneficial, as long as I'm getting the right wages, as long as it doesn't get too uncomfortable here, as long as I don't get like asked to do things I don't want to do, um, as long as another option, maybe another option comes up, then I'll take that. There's, there's no commitment other than what he's prepared to do for his wages. That's a hired servant. Not with a bond servant. A bond servant says, so I'm going to stick with my master no matter what. And if he dies, I die. I'm here. If somebody comes and offers me a great position or lots of money or something like that, I will not take it because I am committed to my master. I'm not interested in anything else beneficial out there. I'm not interested in other great opportunities. I have brought my life to one thing, and that is serving my master. Even if it's inconvenient, even if it's challenging, even if we go through difficult times, I am here with my master. Are you getting this? It's like a covenant. A hired servant would build his life outside the master's estate. He would have his home, he would have his kids, he would have a life, sports clubs, whatever that he would belong to. His, his home and all his estate was outside the master's estate. And it belonged to him. A bondservant lived within his master's estate. Everything, he didn't own anything. Everything was his master's. And whatever he had was what his master gave him. He didn't have outside, you know, plan B's, savings accounts, a little investment over there, a holiday house over there. No, everything was in his master's estate. Before you think it's a bad deal to be a bondservant, all right? What I want you to note is that there was also a difference in not only the commitment of a hired servant and a bond servant, but also of the master towards both. A master, see it worked both ways, a master could fire or hire a bond servant whenever he wanted to. You know, if it wasn't working out for the master with the hired servant, he could say, just go. You know, your time here is up. Here's your third letter <laughs> or whatever it is. And, and the hired servant would have to leave. But he wasn't able to do that with his bondservant. He was stuck with his bondservant. He was committed to his bondservant as, well, as much as his bondservant's committed to him. 
He would have to provide for his bondservant. He would have to protect his bondservant. And he would have to enable his bondservant with whatever his bondservant needed to do his chores. So if if a bondservant needed to do a function, the master had to give him everything to do that function. And the result of a good master and bondservant relationship was that the bondservant would continue to gain authority in the master's estate and even be a joint heir with the master's estate. So you see this in the life of of Joseph. We know Joseph was sold into slavery, right? But into Potiphar's house. And what happened to him there? He committed himself completely to Potiphar and Potiphar promoted him to the place where Everything in Potiphar's house was under Joseph's command. So this was, you know, so we think of the slavery, this bondservant, the slave kind of mentality as, oh, it's just, you know, he's going to live in the dungeon. No, there was promotion within the master's estate. There was, as a good bondservant, there was like, you could rise to positions within, the, in, within your master's estate. We see the same thing happening to him when he goes into prison. What eventually happened to Joseph in prison? He was eventually put over in charge over all the prison. And then he went from the prison to the palace and he was put in charge over the entire realm of Egypt, the entire kingdom of Egypt, but under second only to, to Pharaoh. Okay? So this is, this is the idea of what a bondservant is. And, you know, the saints, the more I read the New Testament and the parables of Jesus... And the words of these apostles, it becomes obvious to me that this is the type of relationship Jesus has called us into. We are to be bondservants of God, not hirelings of God. This is the covenant relationship that we have with God. Jesus in the scripture is our master. He's called our master. In parables, he uses this master-servant relationship like to try and describe. And let me tell you something. He wasn't saying that he was the servant <laughs> and that we were the masters. No, he was, he was quite clear. He's the master and we are the servants. We have a master and we are to obey everything that he has commanded. In Romans 6 verse 22 it says, You have been set free from sin and you have become slaves or bondservants to God. We've been bought at a price. We are now bondservants of God. And our ear is to be committed to his voice. Just like a bondservant's ear was committed to his master's voice and that's symbolic of that, that piercing of the ear, our function is is to wake up every day and listen to our master's voice. Our ears are to be inclined to him. What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to reach today? How can my life glorify you today? I am yours. The life that I live, I live for you. We're not to build separate lives and estates where we are like hirelings, 
But scripture calls us to live within his kingdom. Not like a hireling will come and visit the master's estate and work in the master and then go back. And it's, you know, that's what some people do. They come visit church and go back and, you know, just, I've got like, like my life and then there's this faith thing that I do. No, we are, we are called to live in his kingdom. We are called to, to, to be bond servants within his kingdom and steward all that he has for us. Not to build separate lives. Not to build estates apart from his. To be in a place where everything we have is what he wants us to have. And that everything we have is at his disposal because he's our master. Which is, brings a very interesting perspective. Is it really my house? Is it really my car? Is it really my finances? Is it really my time <laughs> at the end of the day? A bond servant would answer no. What about you? How does that feel? What's rising up on the inside of you? That's some nature that just says no. This is my life. <laughs> I'll do what I want to do with my time. I'll do with my money what I want to do with my money. There's this thing that rises up on us and says, we struggle to submit. And our destiny in God is this, is to continue to grow in our stewardship and gain authority in the kingdom of God. That's the blessing that we have as bond servants. When we really submit to Him, we must understand that it's not just to live a lowly life, but it's to gain authority in his kingdom. For him to expand our influence and expand our resources because they're all his at the end of the day. And I think it's this fundamental thing that we have to get right in our lives is that, is that all of our lives are aligning with his plan, with his purpose. Andrew Murray said, what is the greatest need of the hour? Andrew Murray, the incredible author, he said, what is the greatest need of the hour? And he was talking about the church. Is it that, you know, we, we, we have better pastors, better leaders? Is it, is it that we have revival that comes to the church? What is the greatest need of the hour? And he went on and he answered and he said, it's to have absolute surrender to God. Because when we have that, we have everything else. The answer is absolute surrender to God. It's to live with it all on the line. And so we see bondservant and we see this word disciple and they're used interchangeably. To be one is to be the other in the New Testament. And Peter is saying, be, do this, submit to earthly authorities as a reflection of your submission to God. As a reflection of how you've submitted your, as a bond servant, submitted your life to God. And that, friends, is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Is that it's all on the line. Whatever I have is yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Not mine, but yours.
And I want to challenge us this morning and say, you know, what type of relationship do we have with Jesus? What type of relationship is it? Are we fans of him? Do we, do we like, comment, and share what he says? Or are we followers? If persecution broke out in our nation, <laughs> what would happen? Where would we be in that equation? Do we have a hireling relationship with him? Or do we have a bondservant relationship with him? And a very good sign that we are following him is that we are fishing for men and obeying the Great Commission. So I started off this message by saying, what, what, is, what is the reason why we, we struggle to obey the Great Commission? We've all got excuses, time, whatever. You know, maybe we don't know how, but all these excuses, they all summarize into this one thing. Are we really following Jesus? Because if we really are followers, then we will be fishing for people. Because that's what, he's, that's what Jesus is doing. Where is Jesus now? He's in your neighbor's house. Where is Jesus? He's, he's knocking on the door of the heart of the lady who lives downstairs from you who's all alone. Where is Jesus? He's on our streets, comforting the brokenhearted. Where is Jesus? He's, he's knocking on, on doors of hearts of students in, in lectures with us. Where is Jesus? Jesus is fishing for men. Jesus is looking for people. And if we're going to follow him, then that's what we're going to be doing as well. Amen? Can we stand to our feet? Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.emdurban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.